Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Hi, if we haven't met yet, I'm Matt Van Cleve, one of the pastors at Blue Oaks. Uh, Today we look at the first belief that is catalytic to spiritual growth, and that is salvation by grace. And to begin, I want to ask you to think about something. If you had to come up with one word that best describes what is meant by the term salvation in the New Testament, what would you say it is? What's the single word that most adequately describes what the New Testament writers mean by salvation? I want you to see a couple verses that have this one word that I think best describes what salvation is about. Uh, John 1, 4, this is said about Jesus. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. The salvation Jesus came to proclaim is about the availability of life. The good news that Jesus came to proclaim is the good news of life, that it's possible to experience God's life. Now, something we need to understand about salvation is that it has been misunderstood by many people in our day. A lot of people in a lot of different churches see salvation as being about what might be called the minimum entrance requirements for getting into heaven. And this kind of salvation is not necessarily connected with the life that's described by New Testament writers. Uh, It's simply about how to get past the gate. A woman dies, uh, she goes to the gates of heaven and asks St. Peter, uh, how do I get in? Uh, Peter says, all you have to do is spell one word correctly. Uh, She says, all right, what's the word? He says, love. And so she gets it right and she's able to go in. A few years later, St. Peter asks if she could watch the gate for him for a few hours, and so she does. And much to her surprise, while she's watching the gate, her husband shows up, and she asks him, you know, how have you been? And he said, well, actually, quite well. Uh, You remember that beautiful young nurse who took care of you while you were dying? Well, I married her, and then I won the lottery, and so we sold that little house where you and I lived and bought a great, big, beautiful house, And my beautiful new wife and I were skiing in the Swiss Alps when I had an accident that brought me here. I'm glad I made it to heaven. How do I get in? She said, you have to spell one word correctly. He said, all right, what's the word? She said, Czechoslovakia. (laughs) A lot of people have this idea that salvation is about the minimum entrance requirements for getting past the gate. There may be extra credit work that we can do if we're, you know, spiritual overachievers, but this kind of salvation is simply about the bare minimum. What's the minimum that I have to do or know or believe to get in? Now, when you look at the life and the teachings of Jesus, 
you have to ask yourself the question, where is it that Jesus lays out the minimum entrance requirements for getting into heaven? Where does he say, here's the minimum that you have to do or know or say or believe? And if you're familiar at all with Jesus' teachings, you know he doesn't. Jesus never presents salvation as, you know, here are the minimum requirements for, get, for getting past the gate when you die. Uh, let me show you what Jesus' idea of salvation is. Jesus came proclaiming the good news, that salvation is now here. And this is what he says. The time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Uh, what's the good news that he's talking about? The good news that, that the kingdom of God is now here. The good news is that the life that Jesus offers, life from above, is now available to ordinary human beings like you and me. Understand that it in, includes the promise of an eternity with God. It includes uh, the forgiveness of our sin, but it's not just a way of dealing with the problem of guilt. It is that, but it's not just that. It's about life. It's about life right here and right now. And the reason this is so desperately important is that if you don't get this right, then salvation becomes disconnected from this life. And so Jesus constantly looked for ways for uh, parables and stories to try to communicate to people uh, that we can live and we can have this life in all of its fullness right here and right now. If you want that kind of life, it's available to you. Your sins can be forgiven. Death itself cannot stop this life. It will continue on throughout eternity, but it starts now. Jesus talks about this salvation in John 10. He begins at verse seven by saying, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus is saying, I alone am the gate of salvation. His life and teaching and death and resurrection are the only way to this kind of life. He says, whoever enters through me will be saved. Uh, what does it mean to be saved? Well, look at the next verse. He will come in and go out and find pasture. And that was a picture in Jesus' day of a life that was safe and secure, to be able to come in and go out without being troubled. Uh, the idea here is that nothing can separate us from the love of God, nothing. That's part of salvation. And Paul says they will find pasture. And then in verse 10, he talks about what finding pasture or being saved amounts to. The thief, that is those who offer any other way to salvation, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they, that is the sheep, you and me, may have life and have it to the full. So for those of us who lie in bed awake at night, filled with worry and anxiety and fear, Jesus is saying we can, over time, through the help of the Spirit, learn to live at peace. And those of us who are eaten up by pride or arrogance, throwing away our lives at a race to establish our greatness, we can find the freedom of humility. And those of us who lead double lives, who, who live in deception, we can find the radical mercy of honesty and truth-telling. This is salvation. This is the life Jesus offers here and now. 
to all who will receive it. And this is the kind of salvation Jesus worked so very hard to try to communicate. There's a story in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, where Mary and Martha come to Jesus with news that their brother had died. And they're upset at Jesus that he didn't come and heal Lazarus before he died. Jesus wants to assure Martha that Lazarus will live, that he will heal him. He said, your brother will rise again, Martha answered. I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha is saying, I know he will be with us again in heaven. And then Jesus makes this statement. And this has got to be one of the most remarkable statements in all of scripture. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Think about what a compelling statement Jesus is making. Imagine for a moment that someone you love gets sick and you ask me to come and pray, but I don't make it until your loved one dies. And you're upset and you say, I wish you would have come and prayed. Maybe my loved one would have been healed. Imagine then that I said, fear not, don't be afraid. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will, will never die. I mean, you would think I was crazy, wouldn't you? Because no human being in his or her right mind would say that. No other religious leader would ever say that. But Jesus said it. And he asked Martha what he asks people still. Do you believe this? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus asks. Martha responds, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, I want to pause for a moment and ask you the same question that Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? I mean, that's a crucial question. And maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're a little curious about who Jesus is. Maybe the next step for you is to say, you know, I'm not sure what I believe, but I'm going to explore who Jesus is. I want to find out. It's a great place to be. Keep searching. If you're not sure, then I hope you'll make a decision to keep searching. Well, in the time that remains in this message, I want to paint as clear a picture as I can about what it means to receive salvation. This, this kind of life that Jesus offers. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? What are we uh, committing to when we become a believer, when we become a Christian, a follower of Jesus? Do you believe this? The same question Jesus asked Martha is the question we sometimes ask ourselves. Do I believe what I hear each week in the messages, read in the Bible, or what's talked about in my small group? These things about God, Jesus, Christianity, salvation. Questions aren't bad. In fact, they're often the starting point for growth. We have a resource that will give you a snapshot of where you are in relation to these and other core beliefs that we'll be talking about over the next eight weeks in the Grow series. It's a spiritual growth assessment. You simply select your level of agreement with a series of statements and you receive an email with your results. And the assessment is anonymous unless you choose to share it. 
We have also launched grow groups that follow along with each message in this series and take a deeper dive into each belief through guided conversations, spiritual practices, and additional resources for further study. Groups are an opportunity to ask the questions you might have in a safe environment where everyone is on a journey of growth. We believe spiritual growth happens best in community with others, and grow groups are a place you can find both. To take the assessment and register for a grow group, go to blueoakschurch.org and click the latest news. All right, let's continue with Matt as we discover more about this life that Jesus offers. All right, now what does it mean to receive salvation? Uh, what does it mean to become a child of God and have the assurance that you will experience life uh, with him today and tomorrow and forever throughout eternity? I mean, this is the absolute core of Christianity. And the good news is, is it's quite simple. I'll explain it and then I'll give you an opportunity to make a decision. Uh, maybe you haven't done that before. Maybe uh, today will be the day when you come to a full understanding of what it takes to become a Christian. Uh, what's at the heart of the Christian faith? What salvation by grace really is? That's my hope for you. Maybe for you, this is gonna be the day that you decide to commit your life to God. I'm gonna walk through it and then I'll give you a chance to respond. Now to make this as absolutely clear and evident as I can, I wanna use three images that represent what's at the heart of Christianity. And the first image is a stain. And the question is, what will remove the stain? When I was in college, I was a food server at Chili's. Uh, one night I was serving an older couple. Uh, she ordered the barbecue ribs. Uh, her husband told me about how it was her favorite meal and how they don't eat out very often. And so this was a special occasion. Uh, now to preface this next part, I have to say the rack of ribs was huge and barely fit on the plate. Half of the ribs were hanging off the plate and they were dripping with barbecue sauce. And so as I went to serve the plate to this woman, the ribs started to fall off the plate and it was like everything went into slow motion. I saw the ribs falling, but I couldn't do anything to catch them. And so my instinct was to pull the plate back um, which actually caused the ribs to land on the table right in front of the woman, uh, which I was kind of relieved about until I realized the barbecue sauce splashed onto her white blouse. And later we found out that it splashed onto her blouse and it got on her skirt and her shoes somehow. Now here's the deal. Uh, she was stained. Uh, she was stained all over. I mean, we couldn't pretend not to notice. Uh, we couldn't hide it. We couldn't rinse it off. We couldn't cover it up. It was just there. None of us in the restaurant could remove the stain. Now, one of the primary ways the writers of scripture talk about God's offer of salvation, uh, of forgiveness and new life, is this image of cleansing. And it starts with this truth. I am stained in my soul, in my heart, and so are you. That's the truth about us. This is so important. Every time I gossip, every time I deceive another person, every time I cheat on my expense account or my taxes, every time I'm involved in selfish behavior, every time I use words to hurt other, other people, I mean, that's another stain and another stain and another one. And I cannot remove 
the guilt, the stain by myself. Here's another real important point. Everyone's stained. You are stained. I am stained. And then, of course, the question is, well, how do we get the stain out? And what's God's opinion of the stain? Some people have this idea that God keeps a list of all the good things and the bad things I do. And as long as the the good things outweigh the, the bad things, I'm probably okay. You know, people just get funny ideas about this sort of thing. Everyone is aware of the fact that there are bad things that happen in this world and that I have done some bad things. But a lot of people have this kind of uh, hope that God more or less grades on the curve. The hope is that the passing grade is a little below whatever my grade happens to be. Everyone's aware of the fact that there are bad people, but no one thinks they fit that category. I know there are people who score way higher than me, but I think my score is probably a reasonable score for human beings, and you know, the curve will be set somewhere beneath that. As long as I've got more good than bad, then I'm okay. Well, the writers of scripture are very clear on this. God's standard for human beings is not 51% good and 49% bad. That's not God's plan. God is a holy and just God, and his plan is that human beings, you and me, and the world in which we live should experience life as he made it to be. Sheer goodness, sheer mercy, sheer truth, uh, sheer love. His plan is not for us just to barely tip the scales. It's absolute goodness. And we're stained, you and I. We have sinned and fall short. And we cannot cleanse that stain by ourselves. There's a statement about this in Jeremiah 2.22. God speaks to the prophet. And he talks about the fact that we're stained. Although you wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, The stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God. So I'm stained. I'm guilty. I can't remove it myself. God's standard is purity, perfection. So what am I going to do? Well, God has made a way. And this now gets right to the heart of salvation by grace. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live and to teach on this earth. And Jesus lived without sin. He showed us us actually what life could be. And then Jesus went to the cross and he died on the cross. And the writers of scripture say that when that happened, Jesus, in a sense, was paying a penalty that you can't pay. The apostle Paul said in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. My life, was headed toward death apart from God's help, and so was yours. But, but Jesus died the death that I should have died, and he did it for you too. And in doing that, he was paying the penalty to God that I could never pay, paying the, the moral indebtedness that I would never be able to pay off, you either, and offering us the opportunity to be cleansed. This is the way the writers of scripture talk about that. In 1 John 1, 7, in the New Testament, John says this, And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You can be clean, uh, not on the basis of your good works, 
Uh, not because of what you do, not because you've earned it, not because of how much money you give. You can be clean no matter how badly you're stained, no matter what it is that you've done in the past, however awful that may seem to you. The blood of Jesus is wholly adequate to cleanse you and me from sin. This is the, the heart of Christianity. How does God handle the stain factor? Through the cross, through the shed blood of his son. It's that simple. Now, there's another image that I want you to consider, a computer. And hopefully this will make this absolutely clear. One of the amazing things about a computer is they have what's called memory, uh, RAM, random access memory. But of course, what a computer can remember is nothing next to God, who has unlimited storage capacity in his memory. That means God knows everything there is to know about you, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever said, everything you've ever thought, it's all there. But what about the things that I wish I wouldn't have said, I wish I wouldn't have done? What about the wrong things, the stains that are on my record? Well, computers have a little button that says delete and they're able to delete things. Uh, I was listening to a, a financial webinar recently and taking notes in Evernote, which is kind of my, uh, my electronic brain. I store everything in Evernote. Evernote. Uh, well, there, later that night, I was looking at my notes and somehow I deleted that note. I don't know how I did it, but I just, it's gone. I can't find it for the life of me. Um, and I was thinking after that, wouldn't it be great if life came with a delete button? Have you ever said something and as soon as the words were out of your mouth, you knew the damage that it was gonna do and you thought, I would give just about anything if I could delete it, just take it back, but you couldn't. I know that pain. Well, the writers of scripture say, God longs to remove from your record all of the guilt and the wrongdoing, the foolish and bad and hurtful things that you've said and done, and me too. God longs to forgive them and not because you pile up some string of good works, but based on his grace. It's a gift fully expressed in his son Jesus, in his death on the cross. God just wants to wipe it clean from your record, and mine too. There's a statement about this in the book of Jeremiah where God talks about his longing to forgive us. Jeremiah 31, 34. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. It's like it's gone from God's memory. It's like it never happened. It becomes irrelevant in your relationship with him. I need to say a word here about how comprehensive this forgiveness is because in our world, uh, you may work pretty hard to get your record clean, but it's not very comprehensive. Uh, several years ago, I had to do online traffic school. Uh, it's an interesting thing about why people do online traffic school. Uh, people don't do traffic school because they wanna get a better rules of the road education and become better drivers. Uh, why do people do traffic school? The truth is hundreds of thousands of people do traffic school every year for one reason, because they have a violation on their record and they want it removed. Because they know somehow the law enforcement people and the insurance people are able to get together and delete it from their record. Everyone who does traffic school has a blot on their driving record. I had to do driving school because I had a very minor infraction 
the officer didn't even want to write me up for it, but just kind of as an integrity thing, I just insisted. <laughs> I had to go through about two hours of traffic school to get one blot deleted from my record. And after I finished, someone somewhere hit the delete button on a computer and it was gone and it was like it had never happened. But it's not very comprehensive. If at some point I get another ticket, I can't say to the officer, hey, you know what, I went to traffic school, therefore I'm clean and innocent before the state, so you can't give me another ticket. In fact, if I get another ticket, if I get another blot on my record, I have to go back to traffic school again to get it erased. And if it's in within 18 months, I can't get it erased. Now, it's very important that you understand the comprehensive nature of the forgiveness that's offered through Jesus and what he did on the cross. It covers everything in your whole life from the time you were born. Whatever sin you've committed in your past, no matter how big or bad that may feel to you, whatever sin happened today and whatever sin is going to happen in the future, God's offer of forgiveness through his shed blood on the cross covers it all, the whole thing, your whole life. Now, of course, that's not an invitation or a license to sin in the future. And it doesn't mean that you won't struggle with sin in the future. Uh, we're all gonna wrestle with sin as long as we live. But you need to understand this. The blood of Jesus that was shed for you and that cleanses you from sin is the only price that needs to be paid for you. There's nothing else that needs to be added to it. And it covers every sin of your past and of this day and of every day until the day you die. It's the, it's the comprehensive assurance of God's forgiveness. God is standing there saying, I wanna hit the delete button. I wanna cleanse your record from now through the day that you die. Will you just say yes? Will you just take this gift of forgiveness from me that I'm offering? You know, amazingly, unbelievably actually, there are people who understand this, but they never give God the word. They never say, God, just hit the delete button. God, I wanna be forgiven based on what Jesus did for me. It's that simple. God offers you innocence, a clean record before him. I will remember your sins no more, God says. The offer of life and salvation at the core of Christianity is the offer to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. It's an offer to be forgiven of your sin by God. All right, now there's a third image that I think will help you understand this. And the image is adoption. I want you to think of my daughter and my son, who my wife and I adopted into our family. Uh, the writers of scripture sometimes talk about God's offer to save us in terms of being adopted into God's family. We adopted my daughter, Amran, when she was one year old. We adopted my son, Ezra, when he was five years old. And these are my children, and I love them unconditionally. I would die for them. The longing to be a part of a family is one of the strongest longings in the human heart. You know, if you talk to children who are orphans, their one and only hope is to be adopted into a family. 
Well, the writers of scripture say unbelievably that right at the core of God's heart is this longing for human beings, even though we are uh, fallen and sinful and sometimes stubborn and defiant before him, he has this longing for us. He has this longing for us to be adopted into his family. And so he uses this language of adoption. Paul writes about this to the church at Rome, Romans 8.15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Now, what he means by this is the Christian faith is not about being slaves to some rigid, legalistic, religious system where you have to live in anxiety. Am I okay with God or am I not okay with God? Am I going to make it or am I not? Uh, That's not it, he says. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. So if that's what you've been thinking about Christianity and religion, you've got it wrong, Paul says. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. That is, you have been adopted into the family of God. Now, when we adopted Amron and Ezra, uh, we didn't do it on the basis of their merit or their good works. Uh, It was just a gift. We adopted them because of our love for them as parents. What Paul is saying, God is a loving father and he has adopted you into his family on the basis of what Jesus did for you on the cross. And you are now God's child. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So you can, uh, not on the basis of your good works, but by God's grace, through what Jesus did on the cross, be adopted forever into God's family. You can know for sure that for the rest of your life and then throughout all of eternity, you are a child of God. And this is right at the core of Jesus's teaching. In the Gospel of John in the New Testament, John writes about this. He puts it like this. To all who did receive him, that is to all who received Jesus as the Savior and Lord of their life, to those who believed in his name, that is to those who trust in him, he gave the right to become children of God. It's that simple. You can be cleansed and you can be forgiven, your guilt completely erased, and you can be adopted you can know for sure that you are a child of God. This is the core of Christianity. And it happens not as a result of your good works, but as God's gracious gift through what his son Jesus did on the cross. It's that simple. It's that easy to understand. But now you must respond. You have to decide. You have to choose. You have to declare yourself. And I want to give you a moment to do that. If you've never before made this decision, but you've become clear on it today, if you now understand what it means to become a Christian, to be cleansed and forgiven and adopted, not on the basis of your good works, the decision just works like this. All it takes is for you to say something like this to God, and you can say it right now uh, from your heart. God, I acknowledge now that I'm a sinner. I have stains, I have guilt. That's been a burden on me. Sometimes I try to forget it, but I know it's there. I know, and you know it's there, God. So I'm going to stop trying to earn my way into your favor by doing good things. I'm not going to depend on a list of good behaviors. I understand now, God, 
that when Jesus died on the cross, he died in my place. He paid my penalty. His blood was shed to cleanse me and he would have done it even if I was the only person in the world. I understand that, God. And so now as an act of faith, God, I receive your forgiveness and your mercy. I wanna be your child. I wanna be adopted into your family. I put my life into your hands and I'll spend the rest of my life as a follower, as a student of Jesus. Now, if you're making this decision in your heart, I wanna say this is the most important decision you could ever make in your life. And now I wanna say this too, there may come times as you're on your spiritual journey when you have doubts, when you question your salvation. And so I wanna give you a few verses to write down so that you can have confidence in your salvation. And the first verse is what the Apostle Paul says in Titus 3.7. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying. This is a sure thing. Paul also says in Romans 8.17, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. I mean, think about that. You are an heir of God and a co-heir with Jesus Christ. John writes in John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. See, this is a foundational belief within the doctrine of salvation. We are safe and secure. Nothing can snatch us from the Father's hand. You don't have to worry about your salvation once you've made a decision to be adopted into God's family. Well, this is salvation by grace. This is the core of Christianity. This was God's hope for human beings when Jesus went to the cross to sacrifice his life for you and me. All right, now let me pray for you and then the band is gonna lead us in a closing song. God, I just wanna take a moment right now to thank you for sending Jesus to die in our place and to offer us this life that you tell us is life in all its fullness that we can experience right here and right now as we live on this planet Earth, but also in eternity with heaven and with you. And, uh, and God, I pray that as we go through this life that you would now just continue to encourage us. Even as we're in this series, God, I pray that you would uh, speak to us through your Holy Spirit who is in us and teach us. Help us to become more like you. Help us to continue to grow and to continue to journey with you and to continue to experience more and more of this life that you have to offer us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45, 10, and 11.15. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.